Good morning. God's word to us comes this morning from 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 through 18. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is God's word for us today. You may be seated. Good morning. Welcome to Grace Community Church. Thank you for choosing to worship with us here this morning. He is risen. He is risen indeed. indeed. Nothing says he is risen indeed like a bunch of men in pastel colors. That's how you know it's Easter, when half of the male population in the room are dressed like Easter eggs. So thank you for joining us here this morning. Easter is the celebration of Christ's victory over sin and death. But the reality is, is that you step outside of your homes, as you wake up each morning, as you go to bed each night, there are people that are still suffering. There's still sin. Um, there is still suffering and there is still death. And there's still pain. In the world. So, on the one hand, it is true the tomb is risen. He is risen, and he is risen indeed. Death has been swallowed up by life. Sin has been, it has been defanged by the person of Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. And yet, and yet, the widow still grieves, and there are still orphans in the world, and there's still war, there's still injustice, and there's still all sorts of pain. So, I want to open the, the sermon by by showing you a quote, it's something that I think I've probably said to people or I've heard said and probably many of you have said it. And that's, that's the, the, the statement, you know, everything's going to work out for the good. Now, when someone says that or when you hear that, what generally is the context? What's going on when you hear or say that? The person you're speaking with or you yourself, you're experiencing pain and suffering and there's uncertainty. So we say that everything will work out for good. But two questions, two questions. First of all, 
First of all, my clicker's not working. There we go. First of all, will it really work out for good? Or is that just some Christian platitude or, or, or something that we, we say to kind of comfort ourselves? You know, kind of like whistling in the dark when you go back to the cemetery. If you just whistle, you can kind of divert your mind uh, away from the, the fears that you have. Will it really work out for good? And then if so, how do you know? How do you know? The origins of this statement, the where, where this is derived from is the Apostle Paul. It's Romans chapter 8, verse 28, where the Apostle Paul says, For we know that God works all things for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And what Paul is doing, he's saying, listen, I know you're suffering. I know you have people that are dying. I know that there's disease. I know there's sin. I know there's injustice. I know there's persecution. I know all these things are true. But understand that God is at work and he's overruling all of those things for your good. So the reality is, is all of us suffer, all of us experience pain. Some of you are in pain this morning. Some of it's physical, some of it's spiritual, some of it's emotional. Pain is pain. But the problem with pain is that if we don't have a proper perspective and if we don't view that through the lens of the resurrection, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, it can lead to two false conclusions. And the first one is that Maybe God doesn't care. Maybe God doesn't care. Or maybe God isn't there. I remember one of the first Bible studies that I led as a young Christian. I became a Christian in 1988. I got married in 1989. And I think by 1990, uh, having people in my home, it was a singles Bible study. My wife and I were the hosts, and we were in our apartment. And we were going through this book this, uh, this Bible study that I picked up at a Christian bookstore, and it was on the book of Romans. And we were on the chapter that covered Romans chapter 8, verse 28. For God works all things for the good to those who love him, been called according to his purpose, right? So I'm, I'm going through that, and we're teaching. We're having this lively discussion, and I, I dropped the Romans 8, 28 verse, and, which is, that's the derivative of that. And one of the participants in, in our study was a, a young woman who, who asked this question. She said, could you explain to me how the death of my husband last year and leaving behind me and two small children is good? See, we have to be very, very careful that we don't, we don't use this flippantly as a Christian platitude. And we also have to be very diligent to understand what does that even mean? What does that mean? The goal this morning, the goal this morning is to answer the question, why the resurrection gives meaning to suffering, to demonstrate why the resurrection, something that happened 2,000 years ago, gives meaning to your pain, whatever it is, right now. Because if you're not in pain right now, you were recently, or you're going to be in the future. That's just the way life is. Yes, he's risen and he's risen indeed. He has swallowed up sin. He has swallowed up death. And yet there's still death and yet there's still suffering. So how does the resurrection show us how we can believe and how we can trust and how we can cope and how we can continue to move on? We're going to look at three things this morning. First of all, the pain as we're looking for preparing for glory in the, in the text that we're going to look at, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the pain, which are these light and momentary afflictions, uh, the promise The promise, what the pain is actually preparing for us. And the last thing we're going to look at is the proof. Well, how can we know that this is true? How can we know that this is true? So open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 
chapter 4, let's pray and let's get to it. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. We thank you that death has been swallowed up in victory. But Lord, the truth of the matter is, is that people still die. There's still injustice. There's still suffering. And there's still confusion. And there's still a sense of hopelessness in this world. So Father, would you show us how your son's victory over sin and death, how that is, uh, translates into victory here today and how we can have hope in this life. Hope that's not a vain imagination, but based on the historical reality of the empty tomb. So Father, we pray that you would work all things, Lord, the preaching of your word this morning to draw us closer to you. And for some, maybe to draw them into a relationship with you for the first time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's take a look at the text. Paul writes to this church in Corinth. It's the second letter. Actually, it's the third letter. The second letter we don't have, uh, we don't have uh, preserved for us. But 2 Corinthians, so we don't lose heart. We don't lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Now look at verse 17. So here's what he's, he's saying. The whole book, he's been talking about suffering. His suffering, their suffering, suffering in general. And he's talked about how our, we're, we're just vessels of clay and in and, and our weakness and we're pressed, we're hard pressed, we're persecuted. And he's talked about all this suffering. He says, so we don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. But verse 17, for this light momentary affliction, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What is he referring to when he says light momentary affliction? He's referring to pain and suffering. He's referring to pain and suffering. So contextually, let's see what Paul means when he says light momentary affliction. What are his light momentary afflictions? So turn, uh, jump ahead to uh, chapter 11, same book. It won't be on the PowerPoint. Same book, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's take a look at verse 24. Here's some of the light momentary afflictions Paul is describing. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Just historically context, it was believed that if you were whipped by Roman soldiers 40 different times or 40 times in a row, that that would bring a person to death. So the idea was back it off one, almost kill them. So that's, that's the goal. So that's the, why they call it the, the 40 lashes minus one. So that was five different times. Oh, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, not referring to uh, substance abuse, but rather having rocks thrown at you until you were unconscious and dead. So then he goes on. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, that is the Jews, dangers from Gentile, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, by the way, I just want to stop. How many of you have ever heard the expression from Christians, you know, the safest place to be is in the center of God's will? Anybody heard that? What would Paul have to say about that? Okay, I'm not so sure that that's true at all. So anyway, he says, in toil, hardship, through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me, my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fa- fall, and I am not indignant. You, you, you get the sense that, that that's what Paul's describing is light momentary affliction. Light momentary affliction. And, and in, in chapter 1, chapter 1, 
verse 8, he says, he says this, I don't, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despised of life itself. Now, when you tell someone, when you tell someone or you hear someone speak to you and they say, I'm in so much anguish right now that I dis- I'm despairing of life itself, what are they telling you? They're telling you that it would be preferable if they die than continue on in the pain they're in. That's what that means, the despair of life itself. They don't know if they want to go on living. Now, now how does he describe these pains? What? Light, momentary affliction. Is he out of his mind? Who describes being beaten with rods three different times as light and momentary? Paul is either a complete nut job or he has a perspective that we desperately need. I'm going to go with the latter. He has a perspective that we desperately need. Couple things. What is pain? Pain is what you feel when you experience some form of loss. Some form of loss. Life. Health. Love, joy, comfort, esteem, reputation. I guarantee you that everyone in this room has experienced a measure of suffering that at times, at times, you didn't think you could bear. Sometimes it's a physical illness. Sometimes it's chronic suffering, illness. Sometimes it's acute physical pain. And it's agonizing. It's agonizing. Sometimes it is not physical. Sometimes it is, it's, it's relational. It's the loss of a relationship. There's nothing that's more painful than, than, than to be betrayed, to, to be a spouse and have your spouse leave you, uh, to, to be a child and, and watch your parents' relationship dissolve in front of you and to, be, to, to, to live in that context. Sometimes the pain is due to our own choices. Sometimes it's not due to our own choices. Sometimes it's, we're the recipients of injustice, betrayal, the victim of crime, the victim of abuse, sexual, physical, emotional. There's all sorts of different kinds of pain that people experience. And sometimes it's the pain and the grief of losing someone that you love dearly to death. The death of a child, God forbid, or the death of a spouse, or the death of a parent, or the death of a friend. That's what Paul's describing as light momentary. Now, I also want to state something which is very, very important that you hear. When you hear someone quote Romans 8.28, God works all things for the good of those who love him and called according to his purpose. Let me explain what Paul is not saying. Paul is not saying that your pain is good. He's not. It's not true. Your cancer, it's not good. The fact that your spouse cheated on you and left you, that's not good. Physical, emotional, spiritual, sexual abuse, it's not good. It's wicked. It's evil. War, poverty, all of those things, those things in and of themselves are not good. Death is not good. but it is momentary and it is light. And 
it is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. So I know that's a hard thing to wrap your head around. Something that's not good produces good. That's, that's what Paul is teaching. That's what the scriptures teach. It's not a Christian platitude. It's a hard and fast reality. It's a hard and fast reality. So that's what he's experienced. He's experiencing pain. And so are you. And so am I. And so will we all until Christ returns or we go home to be with him. So let's take a look now at the promise here. The promise, this light momentary affliction, it's doing something. It's the subject in the sentence. It's the subject. And the verb is, is preparing. That's what's being done. The, the thing that's doing it is the pain. The pain is actually doing something. How many of you have, you've been in a, you've been in a weight room, and you've heard the, the muscle guys and the muscle ladies, the personal trainers use this phrase, no pain, no? Okay, what's producing the gain? The pain, okay? The pain hurts, it's designed to hurt, but it's doing something. It's breaking down muscle fibers. Those fibers are then being rebuilt back up and you're getting stronger, more endurance, et cetera, et cetera. So the pain is doing the work. It is doing what? It's preparing for us an eternal, an eternal weight of glory. The purpose of the pain, what it is doing, it's preparing an eternal weight of glory. Now, what did Paul, how does he refer to these afflictions? He calls them light momentary, light momentary. In other words, they don't last. They don't last. When a person is in excruciating pain, you can endure it because you know it's not going to last forever. It's, it's kind of like water on the sidewalk in the summer. It's there for a while, but when the sun comes out, it's going to evaporate. It's momentary. It's not there forever. Your pain's not there forever. It's, it's momentary. But the opposite of momentary is eternal. So what the momentary affliction that you're experiencing now is producing is something that is eternal, something that's not going to go away, something that's not going away. So it's something eternal. But he also uses two other words to, to describe the, the, the effect or the result of this pain. Not only is it eternal, but it's a, an eternal weight, an eternal weight. Weight meaning something that's substantive. It's not light. It's the opposite of light. It's heavy. It stays. It's solid. Can't be moved. Can't be moved. An eternal weight of glory. A weight of glory. Uh, glory means the state of being bright or splendor or radiance or great or magnificent. Magnificent. What will it be like? Well, what does Paul say? He says, beyond all comparison. There's nothing you can really compare this eternal weight of glory to in this life. You can't, you can't compare it to anything. It's beyond understanding. It's going to be awesome, glorious, magnificent, bright, splendid, beautiful, radiant, weighty, eternal, last forever, last forever. But you, you can't really get your head around it. It's going to be that good that good. That's, that's the promise. That's the promise. 
beyond all comparison. Okay, now we get to the meat here. How do you know? How do you know? Because oftentimes I was talking, I'm going to be talking with a friend of mine, used to, used to wrestle at Iowa. He's the head coach of Ohio State University wrestling team. He wrote a book called Unchosen Suffering. Unchosen Suffering. He wasn't a believer when I knew him when he was in college. And he was coaching out at Hofstra University and his four-year-old little boy just playing hide-and-seek. One day he just stopped breathing and he died. And he didn't choose that suffering. But it found him and it shook him to his core and that became the catalyst that led him into a relationship with Christ. But I remember I read his book recently over the last week, and he said in that book that, that many individuals, as, as he came to terms with who God is and the reality of Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, there were some individuals who said that he was simply using that as a means to cope with the loss of his son. And his response to that was yes and no. Of course, I'm... Of course, he said, that's what drove me to, to examine reality, but that's not why I was doing it. Whether or not my son died or not, the tomb is empty. I wasn't willing to explore that possibility until the suffering rocked my world. And see, that's what suffering does. When everything is awesome, according to the Lego movie, you just go about your life. Everything is awesome. And then it's not. And then the baseball bat is placed right at the back of your knees and you are dropped to the ground when it is your son that is in the ground. When it is your spouse who gets the diagnosis. When it's you who have been slandered. And now all of a sudden, when everything is not awesome, you begin to consider realities you were refusing and wouldn't consider before. It did not make those realities uh, they, they were still there. We just couldn't see them. We weren't willing to look. And then, bam, we're dropped to our knees. And now we start asking questions we should have been asking all along, but we were too distracted and unwilling to consider. Unwilling to consider. But how do we know? How do we know? Tom Ryan said in, in his book, he came home from the hospital and his nine-year-old son said, Daddy, where's Teague? And he wasn't asking where he's at physically because he knew that he was dead. He said, where is he? And he said, I didn't know and I couldn't answer. I didn't know and I couldn't answer. So I had, I had, to, I had, to, I had, to, I had to know how I can know. How I can know where my son is. How I can know there's something beyond this life. How I can know that there, there's, there's meaning in suffering. How can you know? God forbid you ever have to experience the death of a child. Some of you have. But your pain is, is unique to you, but it's not unique to humanity. How can you know that that pain, whatever it is, however intense... How can you know that it is really light and it is momentary and it is really preparing an eternal weight of glory? How can you know in a way that's just not some Christian platitude? Well, you just got to believe. Believe what? And why? Why? Why should we believe it? And what should we believe? And how does that even give us hope? 
That's the question. The proof. Back it up a few verses. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believe and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that we who raise the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Do you see it right there in verse 14? Knowing. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. The only reason that Paul can say and not be totally insane and out of his mind that the pain he's experienced is light and momentary affliction is preparing an eternal weight of glory is because he knows the tomb is empty. It's because the resurrection is historical, verified fact. It's happened. That Jesus appeared. After, after, after the resurrection, he appeared to, to Mary, first of all, Magdalene, and then the other women. And then he appeared to the apostles at various points and places, and to Peter, privately. And, and it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that he appeared to more than 500 people, all at the same time. Over the course of 40 days after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the Jesus spent time, the resurrected Christ spent time with individuals who before the resurrection were cowering and hiding and utterly afraid and in despair. But after the resurrection, they became bold as lions and refused to not proclaim the name of Jesus because the tomb is empty. Knowing that he who was raised, raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us up. How does this work? How does this work? How do we apply it? How can we know that suffering will work for our good? Because we know the one who raised Jesus will also raise us up. I want you to envision being at Calvary on Good Friday. You're a disciple. You're Peter, you're Paul, you're Mary Magdalene. You're, you're one of the disciples. You've been following him for three years. You've set your hope on him. You've placed your faith in him. He's told you that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. And you believed it. And, and you were there. You were there when Jesus said, who do the people say that I am? And, 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 and the disciples said, well, some say you're a prophet. Some say you're Elijah. And he says, well, who do you say that I am? You were there when Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And you trusted him. And you thought he was the hope of Israel. And yeah, he told you that he had to go to Jerusalem and he had to die. But you put that out of your mind because that doesn't compute. That doesn't make sense. That's not what a king does. That's not what a savior does. And then the unthinkable happens. The individual that you'd staked your entire being on has been nailed to a cross and you watched him breathe out his last. In fact, you even heard him say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
and you saw the soldier pierce his side with a spear and you saw him take it out. You saw the blood and the water flow. And you saw his mom at the foot of the cross grieving. And you watched him pull a body, a corpse off of a cross. And everything went dark. And you, in your mind, thought there's no hope for tomorrow. There's no coming back from this. There's no working all things for the good. There's no, oh, just believe. Never mind, he told you over and over that he had to die and on the third day raise. That, that's not in your mind. It's not in your mind. That's how the disciples viewed Good Friday. It wasn't good. Remember how I said that your pain and your suffering and injustice isn't good? Why do they call it Good Friday? Do you know what happened on Good Friday? Pain, injustice, murder. And it's called Good Friday. It's called Good Friday because we know that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also up. It's not uncommon to see your pain and the pain of others and you just can't see what God's going to do with that. We never, we never can see what God is going to do with pain in hindsight. We only see it in hindsight. We can't see it looking at it when it, in the moment. All we see are the afflictions. Now, Paul is looking at his afflictions through the lens of the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And therefore, even in the midst of his pain and his suffering, as intense as it is, physical and otherwise, he knows, he doesn't understand, but he knows that God is using that and working that to prepare for him an eternal weight of glory. Just in the same way the disciples couldn't see that on the front end after the resurrection, it all became clear. It all became clear. That's how this works. The resurrection, heaven, this eternal weight of glory that God is using your sufferings to prepare for you, it's not a consolation. Do you know what I mean by that? A consolation? It's not a consolation. In other words, listen, I know you've suffered. I know you've suffered. I know you lost a spouse. I know you had to bury a child. I know that you have cancer. I know that your spouse left you. I know that your siblings won't talk to you. I know that your child's rebellious. I know that you're in pain. But, but, but listen, heaven will make up for all that pain. That's a consolation. I know you're in pain, but heaven is so good, it'll make up for all that you've suffered. Does that make sense? That's not what Paul's saying. That's not what the scriptures teach. It's not, heaven is not the lollipop that you get after you get the sucker in the, the doctor's office. Rather, God uses the very thing that's causing you pain to produce the weight of glory you're going to experience later. It is a direct result of, not a consolation to. How do you know? 
because the worst atrocity ever committed in human history, the worst evil, the greatest suffering, the greatest suffering a human being has ever experienced was the suffering that Christ experienced on the cross. There's nothing good about the cross in itself. It is the product of human hubris, pride, injustice, wickedness, and sin. An innocent man, a man without sin, was falsely accused and nailed to a Roman cross to breathe his last, to die of asphyxiation. That's what the cross is. It's murder. And and it's the worst thing that's ever happened. And Christ, his experience on the cross was far greater than any suffering that anyone will ever experience. Because it wasn't just physical. It wasn't just the physical. It wasn't just the nails and the hands and the wrists. It wasn't just the inability to breathe anymore. It wasn't just the feeling and the knowledge that his best friends had all abandoned him. It wasn't just that human betrayal. It was the weight of the sin of the world that he took upon himself. It was the rejection and the forsakenness of the Father. That's why he said from the cross, Father, why have you forsaken me? He already knows the answer. He was forsaken because he took my sin and his Father turned his face away. He experienced a pain and a suffering and a loneliness that no one here will ever experience. Why? So you wouldn't have to. The greatest harm, the greatest evil, the greatest suffering has worked for the universe an eternal weight of glory. I don't know how God's going to use your pain. I don't know how he's going to change that divorce or that betrayal or that cancer or that death of a loved one. I don't know. I don't know how he's going to do it for you but I know the tomb's empty. And I know he's done it before, and I know that he made a promise. And I know, I know with all, every fiber of my being, that God is true to his word because the tomb is empty. So how do we, how do we process this? What do we do with this? Paul gives us a clue. This is how how we approach it. He says, as, verse 18, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. It's all about perspective. It's all about where you focus. This is not simply telling yourselves happy thoughts. It's going to work out for good. It's going to work out for good. No, this is embracing reality, but reality beyond what you can see in the here and the now. Based upon the fact that the tomb is historically empty and Jesus has conquered sin and death, I'm looking at the pain I'm experiencing right now in light of what he did with the cross and the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and the promise that he's going to... I'm looking to things I can't yet see but are based on a historical reality. That's what he's saying. Here's what happens. If we focus on the pain and we lose sight of what's coming, it will lead to despair. I want you to think right now about all the moms, all of you moms who have given birth over the years. Imagine going into labor and having no idea what's on the back end of that. Not knowing that it's not going to last. Furthermore, not knowing that a child is on the other end. 
that would drive a woman insane and, and literally to despair. But moms know what's on the other end. It doesn't make the pain pleasant. It doesn't put a smile on their face in the middle of the, the hundredth contraction in the middle of the night. It doesn't cause them not to want to strangle their husbands who caused this whole thing. It doesn't take away any of that. But they're, they're, going, through the hope, they're going through the pain with the expectation that a weight of glory is going, a little seven pound, eight ounce weight of glory is coming. And, and it's a beautiful experience. The pain's not good. There's no mother here that would say, you know, it was good. It was good embrace the hurt. No, 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 no. Get through the hurt. Endure the hurt. Endure the pain because there's a weight of glory coming. There's a weight of glory coming that's in a, 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 someone who's been created in the image of God and they're going to bear his image and they're going to grow up and they're going to have children of their own someday maybe. They're little glory bearers. They're little image bearers. And it's a beautiful thing and we can see it. But if you can't see it, if you can't see it, that pain will engulf you. It will strangle you. It will take you down. And it will lead to utter despair. Or it will lead to filling your lives with all sorts of things that distract you from the reality that every single one of you and your kids are all going to die. Happy Easter, by the way. <laughs> no, I'm dead serious. In our culture, we are absolutely committed to avoiding suffering and pretending like it shouldn't be around and death's never coming. That's total lunacy. No culture in the history of human history has been as, as allergic to the reality of human suffering and death as Americans. The great generation, our grandparents, they lived as if suffering was supposed to happen and that everybody died. Now, no one's supposed to suffer for any reason. You, you, you see the pattern? I'm not saying glorify suffering. I'm not saying glorify death, but stop pretending as if it's something that no one should go through. Because the reality of the matter is, it's light, it's momentary, and God is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Maybe. Not maybe in terms of what he's doing, but maybe in terms of have you received Christ? Because if you have not received Christ, this, this promise is for those who have received Christ. Have you trusted him? Have you placed your faith in the resurrected Savior? Have you come to a place in your life where you recognize, maybe you're like Tom Ryan, you would not acknowledge the reality that there is a God and you're not that God. But somehow suffering has brought you to a place where you're like, okay, I'm listening. If you're listening, understand that regardless of your rebellion, regardless of the fact that you have ignored him your whole life, regardless of the fact that you've done a whole lot of things or haven't done a whole lot of things, God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should never perish but have everlasting life. And that promise is for you, if you would receive it. Jesus says to all who come to me, I will give them life. Come to him, cry out to him, say, Lord Jesus, listen, I've been ignoring you. 
I've been avoiding you. I've been afraid of you, but I, I need you. And the scriptures say that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And he will use all of your light momentary afflictions to prepare for you an eternal way to glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Jesus, for conquering sin and death. Thank you, Lord, that the people that are here that are in pain right now, whatever that pain is the cause of, Lord, thank you that you, you have your eyes on them. I pray that you would give them courage, courage to trust, courage to endure, not to call their pain good, to call it something it's not, but to recognize, Lord, you are sovereign even over our suffering. And in the same way, Lord, you use the most, uh, most wicked human atrocity in the, in the crucifixion of your son to bring about the greatest good, that somehow you will prepare an eternal weight of glory for each and every person here. I pray that you would do this to give us hope. And in giving us hope, Lord, that Christ would be exalted. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Go in grace. Happy Easter. We'll see you next week.